Active FM presents Food for Thought with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicky Ensley. Pray repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you administer to my heart. May your word be revealed to me today in a way that is clear so that I can understand it, I can speak it, and I can do it and see it change my life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing with our series, A Wise Man Once Said. And today we're talking about a wise man once said, choose your war. Choose your war. Now, you are at war. Too many times we're living our lives thinking, you know, that we can just um, don't worry, be happy. I remember when, when I was um, a young adult, not maybe a year or two out of school, and there was a song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And the guy who wrote that song ended up committing suicide. So he said, don't worry, be happy, but he ended up committing suicide. I want you to think about that for a second. Okay, you, you can't not be in a war. There, there, there's, there was a line of thinking that, that arose somewhere along the line, but many people spoke it, sometimes even people in the church, and they called it passivism. And passivism is where you're living in a, in a, in a place where you want to see no war. And I want to tell you that as you're sitting here today, that that is not possible. It is not possible for you to be in no war. There is a war that you are fighting. There is a war that is on the table for you. And uh, last week we looked at the fact that there is a wrong kind of wisdom. All right, We spoke about wisdom that is from above and wisdom that is from below. There is a wrong kind of wisdom. It's still wisdom, but it, it cloaks itself and it deceives us. And we need to make sure that we're connected with God so that we're getting the right kind of wisdom. And when we have the wrong kind of wisdom, there's conflict. What is the true source of conflict? It's, I want what you have. In James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, where do wars and fights from among you, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. So there's a war going on. And God wants to provide everything that we need. Many times He's not providing because we're not praying. We're not praying because we're not interested in prayer. And all we're focused on is the outcome. All we're focused on is the fruit. But God is interested in the process. So while I'm interested in the outcome, and I want it now, and I want it yesterday, God is interested in the process of who I'm becoming. Are you living as a person that believes you're living under the favor of Almighty God? Are you, are you a person that's living with a recognition of the fact that the very life you have is a gift? Or are you a person that says, I'm upset because I don't get the recognition that I desire? So we started speaking about the fact that there can be a war inside of us. But you know the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. But if you're going to have that peace on the inside of you, then you've got to choose the right war. Not every war that's available for you to fight is the right war for you to fight. Many of the wars that you can fight, many of the battles that you can get into are exactly the wrong battle. 
And that's why today we're talking about choose your war. Choose your war. Choose where you're going to roll up your sleeves, where you're going to take out your sword, your gun, your, your semi-automatic rifle, maybe your machine gun, you know what I mean? Those ones, you know, where the guys have these long belts of bullets and they, shit, they, 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 they sit there and they, they're shooting. You know, like the old movies Rambo. Choose your war. And here's the reality that you need to come to terms with right now. You're going to have to choose your war. You can't choose a life where there is no war. That's just not available to you. I want you to imagine people now in, in London, in say 1942, 1943, and Britain is at war with Germany in the Second World War. Imagine now being in London in a, in, in, and you say, I'm not taking any part of this war. I, I just want peace. I, I'm just going to check out of this thing. Well, you could check out. The problem is the next thing, these bombers would come over from Germany and they start dropping bombs on your city. And now what are you going to do? You can't cry. You can't go and make a Facebook Live and shout at Hitler. It's not going to change anything. You're at war. And the Bible warns you that you are at war. So you have to choose your war. And in James chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? I want you to think about what that's saying, that you give your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of yourself, and the Holy Spirit, he is jealous about where your attention is about what it is that you're focused on, about what it is that you're living for. The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously for what? For your attention. For you to follow his leadership. Now, the world, if you think about the world, we live in the world. And what is the world in Scripture? In Scripture, the world is what he created. It's his creation. He made it. The Bible says that everything that exists was created through the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God spoke and said, let there be light, look at John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. God spoke through Jesus. It was Jesus who was the mouthpiece. It was Jesus who is the Word. So, Scripture says that the world is what He created. The people that are in the world are what He created. And the, and the scripture also says that the world is a place which is operating under an order that is void of Christ. I want you to understand something right now. The world and the system that governs the world, if you're a believer in Jesus and you're a part of his church, is your enemy. Now, I want you to understand the Bible also says that we fight not flesh and blood. So stop having unforgiveness and issues and things like that with all sorts of people. But the order of things and the order that the world operates under and the authority that the world operates under is your enemy. 
Many of the governmental systems that are in operation today, in many nations, including our own, are your enemy. Many pastors used to argue with me on that. Most of them are not arguing now because, because the system has shown itself for what it is since, since March 2020. And many believers take on the world's view in order to appeal to others. You know, we're scared to tell people this. We're scared to tell people that. We're scared to warn people about the fact that the Bible says that if you die without Christ, you're going to end up in hell. But I want you to think about what that says. If I know that someone doesn't give their life to Jesus and that it's going to lead to an eternal disaster for them, an eternal disaster, I want you to think about the word eternal. It means a forever disaster. I want you to realize that the disaster that will happen for any person that dies without Christ is so bad and so big that there's no problem on the face of this planet that can even come close to what that disaster is going to be. And now you don't love people in your life enough to actually tell them and to warn them. If you think about this, we operate in such a way as to appeal to others. It even affects the way we vote. I I just want you to think about this fact. We have what's called a proportional representation in South Africa. That's our system. In other words, everyone votes for a party, and then they they take the percentages of of what each party gets of the total vote, and then each party gets, um, you know, that percent of the 400 members that we've got in Parliament. That's how we elect our Parliament. If you take all the parties that are there in Parliament, literally about 394 of them, are people that have been elected into those positions that stand for abortion, that stand for so many things that go a thousand, not a hundred percent, a thousand percent against everything that Scripture declares. And most of the majority of the people who put those people in those positions are believers. We vote, and I want you to listen to me, we vote people that subscribe to a system that wants to destroy us into power. It affects the way we vote. And, and we don't think about the fact that the enemy is hiding himself in all sorts of things and there's all sorts of things that we're told to distract us. I'm telling you now, if you guys went and many of you went and you just looked at some of the laws that have been passed in our parliament in South Africa since March 2020 and all, what, what do they keep us focusing on? COVID, 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 vaccine, COVID, vaccine, COVID. That's all we're talking about. It's all we ever talk about. In the meantime, there are these incredible laws that they're going to use to arrest pastors and put them in jail. The enemy hides himself behind misapplied justice and misapplied wisdom. We spoke about misapplied justice last week. You know, when we're fighting for all sorts of causes that we fought for, just say since March 2020, femicide, we fought for George Floyd. You know, we fought even in South Africa over the American elections. We, we fought for all of these sorts of things, and we demanded justice, and we're putting our posts on Instagram 
when three houses away is a family that's starving. Down the road is a girl that's busy being raped. We're worried about George Floyd who died in Minneapolis, and most of us here in Johannesburg don't even know where Minneapolis is. I don't even know how many of us know which state it's in. So we're concerned about that. We were concerned about Tsekhofatsu Pule, that, and that was a terrible thing that happened to her. But how many of us even know where, where the tree was that she was strung up on? And right there, next door, a girl's being raped and we do nothing. We've got misapplied justice, which comes out of misapplied wisdom. And this is the battle that God wants us to fight. What are we doing about those situations? And, and why do we have this misapplied justice and this misapplied wisdom? Because we don't realize the truth that is spoken by James, that to love the world is to be at war with God. If you're after the things of this world, you are at war with God. If you're at war with God, now what do you call your, your opponent in a war? It's your enemy. What do we call the devil? We call him the enemy. So if you are in love with the world, you're at war with God. What does that make you to God? Makes you his enemy. You've got to choose your war. Do you want to be at war with God or do you want to be at war with the world? Now again, I want you to understand. If you're at war with God, you will be at war with people. You will not fight the spiritual battle. You will fight flesh and blood. If you look at this war, this war is being fought in your heart. This battle is, being, is, being, is taking place in your heart. It's your heart that God's after. He's after your heart. It doesn't matter what others think or what we think. The question is, what does the word say? About every single thing, what does the Bible say? And this is not what Christians are doing. And if we're not doing it, then this is not what the church is doing. What does the Bible say? Loving the world like Jesus did is not to love its things or the way it does things or its ideologies. When Jesus loved the world, he didn't love the world system. Jesus insulted the world system. He loved the people, but he fought the world system. Loving the world like Jesus did is not to love its things or to think like it. If you love the world like Jesus did, you won't think like the world. You will think differently. Many believers want to impress people they don't even know. They want to impress people they don't even know in order to be accepted by them. And therefore to be accepted, they will compromise their spiritual values. Now here's the problem. When you do this, you lose your authority and you lose your power. A lesson we all need to learn. Don't try and mirror the people you're trying to reach with the gospel. Yes, you've got to love them. 
Yes, you've got to have compassion for them. Yes, you've got to be there for them when no one else is, which means, oh, it's going to be so inconvenient. But don't try and be like the world in order to minister to the world. Grace that does not lead to righteous living is not grace. When we have the grace of God, and grace is so important because you you need to understand grace. You need to understand that you have nothing without the cross. You have nothing without the blood of Jesus. But grace gives you the power for your life to change. That's why over and over again the, 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 the New Testament talks about the fact that when we're in Christ, we are a brand new creation. When we're mirroring the world, we're not a new creation. We're just a rebranding of the world. Now, what is the key issue here? The key issue here is about submission to God. When you're talking about the spiritual battle, here's the key. Submit to God is the key to spiritual victory. I want to say that again. Submit to God is the key to spiritual victory. James chapter 4 verse 5, 6 and 7 says this. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. In other words, he's jealous for our, for our attention as I said earlier. He's jealous. He wants our attention. He wants us to be led by him. The Spirit wants us to be led by the Spirit. And then verse 6 says, But he gives more grace. In other words, whatever you've messed up, whatever you've blown up, let me just put it in straight colloquial English, whatever you've stuffed up, he gives more grace than what you've messed up. There is more grace available to you. There is nothing that you could have done that can, that, that, that can outdo his grace. In other words, you can receive the supernatural mercy of Almighty God. You can receive the supernatural favor of Almighty God that you do not deserve if you will just turn to Jesus. But then he gives a condition for receiving this grace because there is one condition. And it's a condition that if you don't fulfill this, this condition, you will not repent. And he goes on, he says, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Before we sit there and we say, we're not proud. When God through a pastor, through a cell leader, or through a verse from the Bible, or maybe sometimes he just gives you this uncomfortable feeling here in your spirit, and he tells you, I don't want you to do this. What do you do with it? If you find yourself needing to defend yourself, let me tell you what I've realized for myself. If I want to defend myself, what I'm saying is that I have a belief inside my heart that I can be good without God. The moment I believe I can be good without God, the moment I believe I can be good without the cross, I'm, I'm proud. And what does the Bible say to me if I'm proud? God resists the proud. Who does he give grace to? He gives grace to the humble. What does it mean if I'm humble? I come before the Lord, I cry out to him and I admit, Lord, I'm nothing without you, but I'm everything with you. You are my everything. And then in verse 7 says, so because God resists the proud and gives grace to humble, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God. 
So your next step now is that you submit to God. Whatever God says goes. In order to know what God says, you've got to be reading the Bible, you've got to be praying, and your heart's got to be open. Your heart's got to be open to be challenged. Your heart's got to be open to the fact that things you're doing right might be wrong. Things, so let me rephrase that. Things you think you're doing right might be wrong. Submit to God. And then he says this. When you submit to God, now he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you are submitting to God, you will be in a position to be able to resist the devil and the devil is going to flee. He's going to run from you. Because the moment he touches you, the grace of God is all over you. He's going to burn. And then in verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded means I've got two minds. World, kingdom. World, kingdom of God. World, kingdom of God. The place where we need to start our day is with God's purposes. The place where we need to start our day is yielding to him first. We yield to him first. Submit to God, draw near to him, and he will draw near to us. Now, I want you to think about something. When you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is placed inside of you as a seal of your salvation. So the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. There's, there, there, there's a song that the guys in Hillsong once sang many years ago where they said the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. And you know where they took that song was from the Bible. The, the, the same power, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And that power is the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So if the Holy Spirit is already living inside of you, how do you get closer to him? Because he's in you. you. You can't get closer than that. And I want to suggest to you today, it's not about his proximity to you. It's not about how close he is to you. It's, it's about the heart. Where's your heart pointed? Jesus said that some will say, Lord, Lord, we served you. Lord, we were with you. And he will say, depart from me, I did not know you. It's more important that God knows you than that you know God. Even when some guys wanted to copy the apostle Paul and go cast demons out, the demon said, Jesus we know. Paul we know. We don't know you. And they attacked. Bah! Those acts ended up in ICU. Come on, say amen, someone. When you go fight the devil, <laughs> make sure you've got Jesus. Make sure Jesus knows you. Because if, if Jesus doesn't know you, the devil's got access. While God, while God knows all about me, he knows everything. It, when we say for God to know us, we're not talking about him knowing everything about us. He already knows everything about us. But 
for him to know me requires me being open to him. It requires me being in a place of intimacy with him. And here's the thing. When I seek his face, I open my heart to him. I become aware of his presence and then I know his presence. Think about the fruit of God. Complete yielding to God opens you up to the fruit. John 15 verse 7 says, But if you make yourselves at home with me, and this is from the message, if you make yourselves at home with me, you know when, when, when you go to someone's house and they say, make yourself at home, in other words, treat this like it's your house. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, in other words, my words are at home in you, my, my words see you as their home. Then he says, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. So, if you make your home with me, Jesus says, and my words are at home in you, in other words, my words are ruling you, and because my words are ruling you, your will becomes my will, you can be sure that whatever you ask for will be listened to and acted upon. Because then I'm praying for what Jesus wants. I'm asking Jesus to do what he already wants to do. And here's the thing. God is not wanting me so he can have my opinion. God is not sitting there waiting. What is Gavin going to say today? What earth-shattering words of wisdom can Gavin give that we never thought of? Is... <laughs> My opinion is worthless. And so I need to ask God for insight. And I need to ask Him for insight with absolute surrender. God wants us to be part of His family. And as part of His family, we are co-laboring. In other words, we're working for Him. We are co-laboring believers that are so yielded to Him that He can trust us with any prayer and it will be done. You see, when we're yielded to Him and we're listening to Him, He can trust us with any prayer and it will be done. Abiding in Him means that in our heart we believe that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. In other words, we believe that without Jesus we're dead. We do not know where the branch ends. If you think about a branch on a vine, you, we do not know where the branch ends and the vine begins because they're one. And God wants it to be like that with us. He wants us to get to the place where what moves me is what moves him. In James 4, 9 and 10, we spoke about this before. Lament and, war and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's real repentance. Real repentance is where in our emotions, what we've done breaks us. We weep over it. There's mourning over it. And we come to Him and we realize there's nothing, nothing, nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get back right with Him. And we throw ourselves completely at His mercy at the face of the cross. And then... 
When we come like this to him, then we submit to God. Then we will resist the devil and he will flee like a dog that's just been beaten up. Real repentance requires that we humble ourselves. We love to see people humble themselves. And then we can come and we put our hands around there. But here's a problem. <laughs> we don't often handle it too well when he exalts them. Because you know he promises if a person humbles himself or herself, that later God will exalt them. So we're happy when the person's humbling themselves. But now when God exalts them, we get jealous because there's a problem in our heart. And that needs to be sorted out. That's what the Lord wants to sort out. We love it when people seek first the kingdom of God. And we see them on their knees with tears coming down their eyes. And, and, and they're just right there with God. But we don't like it when he adds everything to them. As Matthew 6.33 promises. And then there's just these little things that creep in. I wish I had that. <laughs> I wish I had this. And then impatience comes. We become impatient. And next thing out of our impatience, we speak a, a sharp word towards someone. And they don't know where that comes from. Later on, criticism develops. We start criticizing other people because we're jealous of what they have. And then there is this news flash from God. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through the Bible. He says, that's not the way I made you. That isn't the way I made you. We need to confess when we're impatient. We need to get to, to the place where we stop dropping our issues with each other. Because we're part of the family of God. And we need to sort these things out. Because when we're talking about repentance, we're talking about humbling ourselves before God. These are the things that we need to do in order to avoid the disaster that James is warning about. Now I want you to realize this. When you're saved, the favor of God is on you. It is all over you. But here's the truth about the favor of God. If the favor of God in, on my life does not benefit the people around me, then that becomes misused favor. The favor of God upon our lives needs to benefit people around us. When I read James chapter 4, I know that the Bible is the word of God. Because I've never managed to successfully read James chapter 4 and not be convicted. And this is what God wants to do with us when we read the word. He wants to convict us of the things in our heart that need adjustment. He wants, us to, he wants to convict us of the righteousness that's available at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, far too often we're worried about what is done. We're worried about the outcome. We're not, we're not concerned with the process, which is what God is concerned about. The, what, what, is, what is the first thing God wants? He wants that everyone be saved. He wants that everyone accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then what does He want? 
He wants a process of sanctification whereby we become like Jesus. That's his aim. That we become like Jesus. Because when we become like Jesus, we make the name of God famous. How do we become like Jesus? Make sure we're led by the Spirit. Make sure we check in our hearts. Make sure when I'm reading the Word, I'm not thinking about my wife or other people in the church or President Sora Maposa or whoever. I need to read the Word for me. Jesus paid the price with his own blood that we, our, our hearts can be washed in the blood. Every curse can be removed from it. Every unclean thing can be removed from our hearts. Everything can be made whole. Everything can be restored. If we will totally and utterly put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us. He died our death upon the cross so that we can live his life forever in eternity with him for glory, in glory that's what Jesus did and every one of us need to be saved and I want you to think about where you stand with God right now and if you've never given your life to Jesus I want to give you the opportunity right now to do so but on the other hand I also want to say this to you Never mind just giving your life to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting and in the past you have given your life to Jesus. And like what happens when I read James chapter 4, the Lord has spoken to you and challenged you on issues you have in your heart towards people. You see, God will always speak to us and He gets very personal and it gets very uncomfortable sometimes because He wants us to shift our hearts. He wants us to shift it because at the end of the day, that warning from James comes, he resists the proud. Now, if God is resisting us, we're in trouble. But he gives grace to humble. Now, even though you might have given your life before, here's the issue. If you're proud, God will be resisting you to get you to the place whereby you will repent. And so, when we, when we pray this prayer, if you realize that God is nudging you as, as such, then he's calling you to recommit your life today. And so, Romans 10 verse 8 and 9 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so today I want to ask you, you need to recommit your life to Jesus maybe because you've realized there's things in your heart that need to be sorted out. There's things in your heart you need to repent of. Or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And the Lord's calling you and he might be saying, look, you need to give your life today. You can't wait for another time. You may never have another time. Now is the time. Don't wait for later. Now is the time. Come kneel at my altar because this altar sanctifies everything. Don't say, I'll wait until I'm ready. You'll never be ready. Do it now. And, and, and when you respond now, what you're saying, you're saying something incredible. You're saying, Lord, 
now is the time I want to be saved. Lord, now is the time I want to, I want to be close to you. Lord, now is the time I want to commit to you right now. I want to give everything over. I want to submit my life completely to you right now. I can't wait until later because I don't know if I'll make it. I don't want to live eternity far from you. I want to live close to you from this day on. Lord, I want to be close to you so that when death comes knocking, it won't affect me. It won't affect me because I'll know I'll be going into eternity with you. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now. And as you're closing your eyes, I want to ask you, do you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time? Or do you need to recommit your life to Jesus? If you're watching online, then I'm going to ask you to send an email to info at theactivechurch.org if that's you. If you're at Salby or at one of the sites or if you're at Henley, then while while we pray this prayer, I want you right now to, to raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now if you're needing to give your life to Jesus or if you're needing to recommit your life to Jesus. Right here, some hands have gone up. And wherever you are, whatever site you're at, just raise your hand. If you are alone at home watching or you're, you're watching you know, somewhere with, a, with one, maybe one or two other people or maybe you're listening via the live audio or maybe subsequent to this you're listening to the audio recording, then I want you to send that email to info at theactivechurch.org. And for those of you that are watching alone, get on your knees right now. Do something physical. Is there anyone else? Just raise your hands right now. If you're here at Salby or at one of the other sides, just raise your hands right now. We're going to pray together. And I'm going to ask you to put your right hand on your heart. And everything we have, even a purified heart, comes by the blood of Jesus. Everything. And so see him on the cross dying for you. Giving up his life for you. The Bible says that the same Jesus 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross of Calvary. That work that he did stands once and for all. The blood that he shed was the price that he paid to wash our sins away. Before we make this statement, I want you to see yourself being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Even maybe if there's some guilt or other that's staining your conscience right now. To see the blood of Jesus washing it clean. Whatever hurt or pain there is, just see the blood of Jesus restoring you right now. Whatever sickness you may have in your body, just see that you are being healed by the blood that flowed from the stripes on his back right now. We've had communion. His body was broken for us so that when we are sick, we can go to him and believe for our body to be healed as, as, as we see the exchange of our broken body for his. And I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, Today I recognize that I'm a sinner. I repent of everything I've done wrong. And I renounce my life of sin. I accept your sacrifice. And I know that it was the price that you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, 
I ask that the blood of your wounded body wash me today of all my rebellion, all my sin. Set me free from any sickness and from any pain. Lord, I accept that my debt has been paid, that there is no outstanding balance. You paid everything for me on the cross of Calvary. I accept that by your blood I'm justified. And you see me as though I'd never sinned. And that by your blood I'm sanctified. And I've chosen you to serve me. And I, sorry, I've chosen, I've chosen to serve you, sorry. I'm willing to serve you, Lord. Lord, today I open the door of my heart. And I invite you to come in as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. And for giving me eternal life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Visions and dreams are the language of your spirit. The unknown is revealed through the power of the fourth dimension.
three, two.